Hello and welcome to the week two podcast of the International Water Association's Digital World Water Congress 2021. I'm Keith Hayward, editor of IWA's magazine, The Source. The second and final week of the Congress was just as successful as the first, bringing this truly global virtual event to a close, with the speakers across 51 sessions and more than 2,200 attendees, making the Congress a highlight of this year's water calendar. To round things off, we're going to hear from a few key people around the event, especially several of our award winners, who share insights into how to bring about change and progress around water. But to begin with, let's hear from Emma Howard-Boyd, Chair of the Environment Agency in England, who opened the second week of the Congress with a stirring keynote focused in particular on climate change. Hello to you, Emma. Hello, great to be with you today. Well, thank you. And in your keynote, you, you highlighted the need for action on climate adaptation. So to open, could you comment briefly on the extent to which this represents the need for action on water? Action on water is absolutely key to becoming prepared for the shocks that we're already experiencing with climate change, whether it's too much water, too little water, and the way it impacts water quality. We know that alongside decisive action on the carbon agenda, we need to be thinking very, very carefully about action on water. You say actions needed on water. Well, several things need to come together for that. And one of them you mentioned is finance. So you underline the importance for a shift in financing towards resilience and to account for climate risk. So how would you sum up where we're at on that? Are you optimistic that enough people are now switched on to this? Most of the finance that we see heading towards adaptation is public sector finance. And where I have seen analysis dating to 2018, looking at private sector investment in climate change, the vast majority of that, some 95%, is focused on mitigation. So delivering on net zero targets. I am beginning to see the kernels of an increase in focus coming from the private sector. Initiatives like the Coalition for Climate Resilience um, Investment, where we're beginning to see institutional investors, insurance companies, focus on the analysis that needs to be done, particularly around infrastructure. But we need to make sure that finance is directed as much towards adaptation as it is towards mitigation, and often hand in hand. What's the point of investing in a whole range of new technologies, renewables, if they wash away in a flood or melt in a heat wave? Well, thanks for that. There's promising signs then. So you also highlighted, though, the great potential contribution of nature-based solutions. Can you sum up what you see as the contributions these can make and, and their central role here? Well, alongside all the work that is necessary in this decade, preparing for climate change and meeting our net zero targets, there is a massive role for nature-based solutions, both as carbon sinks, but also in the adaptation resilience 
journey too. So we see it from a flooding perspective at the Environment Agency, where alongside more traditional grey infrastructure, we are looking at what is also needed from blue and green infrastructure, whether it's at the coast or along a river catchment. But also for water quality purposes, there is a role for nature there in helping clean water, making it um, ready for, for drinking. So right at the heart of our environmental agenda, our climate agenda, we need to make sure that we are taking into account nature-based solutions. That's great. Thank you. That really gives a perspective of, uh, of some of the key issues we're covering in the, uh, the Congress here. So thank you very much, Emma Howard-Boyd. Thank you. Week two's opening session also featured a keynote from Dr. Akinwumi Adesina, president of the African Development Bank. So now, to pick up on some of the points raised by Dr. Adesina, we're going to hear from Sylvain Usher, executive director of the African Water Association. Hello to you, Sylvain. Hello, Keith. So to begin with, Dr. Adesina highlighted the central importance of water to Africa's economic development. I mean, can you sum up how you see that vital role of water? Uh, thank you very much for the question. I think that um, what Dr. said uh, is, is in line definitely with, with the African Water Vision 2025 which is looking at how water can be, uh, how the service of water and how the use of water can be better uh, understood and also better controlled in Africa. 2025 is not too far, so we will do an assessment in a few years. And also it's aligned with the Agenda 2063, which is also the way Afro, the African water uh, wants to be in, in, in 2063. But as he mentioned also, um, agriculture is the biggest part of, of, of the, the use of water. 70% of the water goes to agriculture, then it goes to uh, energy and, and far, far less is going to potable water. But potable water is very important for the human being. And uh, we, we do appreciate, we do think that uh, we need to focus a bit more on the aspect of, of the water to, uh, to the, the population, water for potable water and all the service that goes around. Thank you. Well, as you've just said, there's, there's different uses for water and these are often competing uses. So can you comment on the challenge of connecting sectors and water uses in Africa? especially in the terms of the need to strengthen governance and policy? Yes, you see, um, at the time of the independence in the 1960s, when most of the countries were going through their own ways of, of uh, doing their own businesses, uh, water was something that came in because we needed to uh, bring water to the population. Uh, the population were not as big as today, and the infrastructure also were not as big as today. Today, the issue that we are facing is uh, the uh, growth of population, the rapid growth of population, but especially the rapid growth of urbanization. And all this for the uh, water, the potable water sector brings a lot of pressure on the uh, utilities. And at the time also, there were no real regulation of, of this sector. 
and, and having no real regulation of the sector, uh, governance and policy were impacted, unfortunately, uh, not that, uh, that, that, that good. Today, with the evolution of the population uh, and also with the different institutional framework on the water sector that is uh, going by in Africa, the need for regulation came out very, very strongly. And we also have today some new actors, such as the local government that also are distributing water in some of the countries. And, and definitely for, uh, 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 we need a reinforcement of, of governance to help put on some new policies that definitely would give some uh, good, uh, good services to the population. Thank you. Well, ultimately, though, progress is going to depend on people. So how important for you is the need to build capacity and to support professional development around water? Building capacity is key. Technology is evolving very, very fast. But not only technology, but coming back to the growth of population and urbanization, we need some new processes, we need, we need some new uh, uh, operational, uh, uh, some new operational activities that could definitely bring uh, better water and cleaner water to the population. And for this, we need to capacity build, not only operators, because operators are uh, definitely working straight on, 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 on the ground. But we need also to capacity build local authorities that today are dealing with the water and sanitation services. We need also to build capacity to decision makers because they need also to know what are the priorities of the operators, what are the needs of the local government to, to uh, distribute the water the right way to the population. And we need also capacity building for regulators, because this is a new aspect of the activities, how to regulate all these actors getting in the water and sanitation sector, and also capacity building to the population. They need to use water and, and a wisely uh, uh, and a wisely behavior and a wisely attitude, because water is not eternal. We need to definitely look at how to save water and how to keep the water clean. So a lot of capacity building is needed today for all these actors. Thank you. That's really interesting. And thank you, Silvanusha, for your contribution. Thank you very much. You are so welcome. And now I'm joined by water campaigner Nafisa Barrow of Utan, who is the winner of this year's IWA Women in Water Award. Hello to you, Nafisa. Hello, Michael. Hi there. Well, Straight in there, what does receiving this award mean to you? Receiving this award means uh, an opportunity to project uh, the voices and wisdom of women and communities at grassroots level. That's one. Second, it is an opportunity to really connect with a valued uh, partner like IWA and many others where one can uh, project this uh, whole uh, wisdom of rainwater harvesting from women's point of view. And so it is an, uh, also an opportunity to be encouraged and to encourage more activists. That's great to hear. So could you sum up your message then what, around the power to achieve change and, and how to tap into the the energies and the willingness of people. 
See, um, you know, in terms of uh, my own experience, uh, when one says, uh, how do you tap in the energies and the willingness of people? It means that, are we listening to people? I mean, um, my, my own experience is listening to what women and people are saying, what their issues are, listening to uh, what they're saying their alternatives are, and uh, enabling, I mean, creating an enabling environment for women to voice their voices, you know, to kind of take leadership. And that's really important. And other thing is that when we talk about enabling environment, it is really transforming power to these communities. And what one finds is that uh, the, the, the present situation where there is so much of emphasis on infrastructure, yes, infrastructure is required, but it is more in terms of the investment is required more in terms of transforming the power and putting it in the hands of communities, especially women, to really manage their own lives and resources. And that is really possible. So if one listens to them, if one creates an enabling environment, people are ready to take on leadership and uh, you know, take, on, take on charges. And uh, it's, it's extremely important that when we talk about women, then, you know, they talk about dignity, they talk about equity, they talk about sustainability, because that's how they have really lived and they've seen the issue. I mean, I, I can just cite an example, like in, um, when, when we started 40 years back, you know, there were, there were so many conflicts over water and blood would drip in water, et cetera, et cetera. And when we asked women, what do you think? Is there a solution? And they said, yes, we want to reach, I mean, we want to uh, kind of rejuvenate our traditional systems like rainwater harvesting. And that came up as a, as a major solution. But are the policymakers listening to them? That's the whole issue. So how optimistic are you that the world can respond to the many water challenges we face? I am optimistic because otherwise I think that uh, people like us who are really activists who, who think that, yes, uh, the world has to change and things have to change. And even what you look at the communities, then they learn from each other and they're strengthening their voices. So, you know, one finds that there are many, many such voices at the grassroots, at the at other levels. I mean, I'm not saying that at the policy level, there are no uh, voices uh, who are really looking at this uh, differences. So I think connecting these voices is is a way forward. That's great. Well, Nafisa Barrow, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you for this opportunity. Now we speak with Dr. Siddhartha Roy of Virginia Tech, who this year received the IWA Young Leadership Award. Hello, Chusid. Hello, Keith. How are you? I'm great. Thank you very much. Hope you are too. So what does it mean for you to have won the award? Well, to be honest, I am skeptical of awards and find many of them worthless, like the comedian Ricky Gervais described the Golden Globes once. But jokes aside, this award from IWA is incredibly important because it recognizes you know, the scientific and humanitarian work done by our US water study research team here at Virginia Tech. Um, this high stakes um, and immensely risky work over several years has helped expose unsafe water, um, lead contamination, government misconduct, 
and environmental injustice in so many places like you know Flint, Michigan being the poster child, Denmark, South Carolina and others. I think secondly, this award shines a spotlight on you know, my research, which seeks to answer fundamental public health questions about childhood-led exposure, the possibility of excess fetal deaths, and you know, citizens testing their own chlorine in Flint, Michigan. Uh, this work has pioneered you know, new areas of exploration in the fields of environmental epidemiology and drinking water, so to be recognized on the international stage by IWA builds confidence uh, in the competence and the knowledge that you know, I bring to the field. Finally, you know, people very close to me are very delighted that I, you know, when they heard about this award, uh, my father and my PhD advisor especially. So it's always nice when people you love and respect have another reason to be happy. Well, that's fantastic to hear. And moving on from that, we can see water as a global issue. We talk of it as a global issue, but how important is it for you to have in mind that the solutions we're looking for are needed at a local level? Right. Um, you know, every water professional encounters the global versus local dichotomy at some point. We often have to walk the tightrope of balancing the big picture with, you know, with, with specific details, and it's important to see both. Uh, you know, to give you an example of, a, of, of, of the big picture, uh, we know that the world met the millennial development goal that was set in 1990 of cutting in half the proportion of people without access to improved sources of water. Like they did it five years, we did it five years ahead of schedule in 2010. So, you know, this global data-driven optimism, what I think Sir Matt Ridley calls rational optimism, helps us see that things have improved a lot over the past, but we still have a long way to go. This global pandemic, for example, has thrown new challenges our way in terms of sanitation, water insecurity, and we're all trying to rise to meet them. But, you know, coming back to the local versus local, the global versus local idea, I would encourage listeners to, you know, to familiarize themselves with thinking at different scales. So, you know, water in one home or in one neighborhood, in one village. Uh, you know, Taiwan experiencing severe drought is a country level issue. And so this lens helps us work with communities and governments to identify whether solutions would be centralized or decentralized, for example. Would the best solution be changing treatment at the water plant or giving affected residents filters? If there is money available, uh, replacing pipes or plumbing uh, that cause that contamination, for example, would sound more prudent. And uh, you know, coming to uh, my work, um, the water crisis in Flint, Michigan occurred, for example, because of an austerity decision to switch the water source and you know, suspending federally mandated treatment. So the scale here is city level. And our collaboration with residents in Flint was very much focused on how to solve this problem on the city level. And that's how we, we went about doing it. So local is absolutely critical, but we need, we, we need to be thinking in terms of scale every time we're we we are looking at a problem. And that's, I think, the best approach. That's a really useful thought there. So thanks for that. Now, thinking of young water professionals 
in the sector today and and the future young water professionals and how do you see the professional opportunities ahead in the the water sector and and why would you perhaps say the the sector is is an attractive one right uh, i think this depends to a large degree on, on what you want to do in our field of water. Um, you know, I have been in academia since 2012 when I started my master's and PhD at Virginia Tech uh, in the U.S. And so I'll, I'll talk about water academia and say you know, research opportunities are growing for those interested. It's an exciting time with uh, new microbial tools like next generation sequencing being adopted, for example, or contaminants of concern like PFOS and PFOA being investigated. On the other hand, we have uh, these concepts like systems thinking and environmental justice, which are being taken seriously and helping bring uh, a more human lens to these issues of water access, water insecurity and water poverty. So, there is, you know, it's an exciting time to consider the field of water, and I'm optimistic of where the field is going. But I think most importantly, I think our field is attractive because, you know, altruism and service to the public are central to what we do, and how many fields can truly claim that, right? Absolutely, that's that's great uh, to hear that, and indeed, I'm sure many people uh, share that view. So, Sid, thank you so much for speaking with us. Thank you very much for having me. I'm joined now by Professor Yuri Vanna of the University of Chemistry and Technology in Prague, who has granted honorary membership of IWA this year. Hello, Yuri. Hello, Keith. Well, what does it mean to you to receive honorary membership of IWA? Uh, well, uh, of course, it's a great honor uh, to me personally. But uh, I can uh, see this award also as a kind of recognition of the contribution of my university, my department of water technology and environmental engineering, and also of the whole Czech uh, water community, because uh, the Czech Republic and our predecessor, Czechoslovakia, were traditional members of uh, International Water Association whatever was called in the past. So I can just mention that uh, my former professor, Professor Madeira, was one of the founding fathers of uh, uh, International Water Association or International Water Pollution Research Association. And I think this uh, award is a kind of award to the whole water community in my country. Well, that's that's great to hear, Yuri. Thank you. And you've got a particular interest in large wastewater treatment plants. And can you sum up the professional community and the networking that the association has supported over the years for you? I mean, how important and valuable have you found this? Uh, well, uh, the community around uh, large wastewater treatment plants uh, started uh, the activities more than uh, 50 years ago. And the first uh, conference on this topic was held in Vienna in 1971. And since that time, the community uh, has developed and has changed uh, very much because from the beginning, it, uh, the main uh, the members of the community were mainly the practitioners. 
people operating uh, the wastewater treatment plants. And now uh, we uh, can observe that uh, the community has changed to the very complex community of uh, people from the practice, but also from uh, research. And uh, the role of the uh, IVA and the network which IVA can provide was uh, very important because it provides the contacts with other specialist groups. So now the community around large wastewater treatment plants is really complex. And that's particularly uh, thanks to the help of the network of International Water Association. Well, yeah, and as you say there, there's changing technologies and expectations are, are, are shaping large wastewater treatment plants further, despite this very long history. Can you, can you sum up your views on the importance of this evolving roles and the greater contribution that treatment plants can make? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I think the uh, role of uh, large wastewater treatment plants will be uh, increasing uh, in the future. And the reason is that uh, in the changes in the population structure uh, around the globe, more and more people are living in the big cities which are served by large wastewater treatment plants. While today we have about uh, 50% of the population living in big towns, uh, within the next 20, 30 years, this population uh, fraction will increase to about 80%. And uh, that's one reason why the role of the large wastewater treatment plants will be increasing. The other one is a change in our approach to the wastewater treatment plants, which are no more considered as just as a facility to treat the wastewater, but also the facility to gain some products. And one of the most important products in the future of wastewater treatment plants will be water. So I can see the future of the large wastewater treatment plants uh, as uh, uh, facilities for providing uh, recycled water, water which can be reused in agriculture, in urban water management, and for uh, other purposes. The uh, other uh, possible role of the uh, large wastewater treatment plants in the future will be also in um, the recovery of uh, some nutrients from wastewater. Today we are speaking mainly about phosphorus and also energy. Uh, The wastewater treatment plants have a great potential in recovering the energy which is fixed in the wastewater and that will be also the role of the large wastewater treatment plants in the future. Thank you, Professor Yuri Vanner. Now let's hear from Professor Mark van Loostrecht of Delft University of Technology who also received honorary membership of IWA this year. Hello to you, Mark. Good morning. Firstly, then, what does it mean to you to receive the honorary membership of IWA? Well, it's an association I've been all my professional life member of, so it's, of course, a great honor to receive this and to get recognition for um, all the activities within Iowa. Okay, that's great. Could you briefly sum up what you see as the is the mood around municipal wastewater treatment and the opportunities that there are to innovate? 
Yeah, so uh, wastewater treatment is, you could say, a century-old technology or activity. And you might think it's it's old and old-fashioned, but you see also that over the years, there's still all the time improvement, and that's largely due to that society is all the time changing. So also the role of wastewater treatment is changing. And certainly in recent years, the integration of, say, handling waste from urban societies, including wastewater, makes that the, the look to wastewater treatment has been shifting from sanitation to nature protection and now to fully integrated into circular economy. And on top of that, all kinds of developments as well in the IT sector as in the biotech set sector makes also the possibility to control and to optimize the processes much better. So in that sense, it's still a very vibrant and moving field where a lot of new innovations are occurring. Excellent. What for you is the value of the IWA global professional networking? And, and that's both in terms of getting ideas strengthened, but also building momentum around innovation and new ideas. Yeah, so Iowa has always been, and this predecessor has always been a, a society where, uh, say, more engineer-oriented people from universities, but also from utilities meet and discuss and philosophy about new technologies, um, bring each other up to date on that, and in that way stimulate innovation and development, especially due to that exchange between practice and um, academia, where each other questions uh, what, what's the relevance or brings the, the real problems and, and the new opportunities. So it's especially that information exchange, which, which is, of course, the most important part of an international society. Well, that's great to hear, Mark. So thank you so much for that. And um, you know, congratulations once again on your honorary um, membership. Thank you, Mark van Lustrecht. Thank you. And finally, we now speak with IWA Executive Director, Carla Bayer-Vermothi. Hello, Carla. Hi, Keith. How are you doing? Great, thank you. Well, what for you, uh, some of the key themes to have emerged from this Congress? Well, for me, some of the most topical aspects of the discussions we've seen were really captured by the contributions of our keynote speakers. You know, the aim of our virtual event has really been to deliver the best we can about what IWA is about. And the keynotes delivered on perhaps the most vital aspect of IWA, and that is to inspire people. So, for example, Professor David Sedlak, he talked about the opportunities for innovation and the applications of technologies. Emma Howe Boyd, she talked about the need for action on climate adaption and really some very interesting um, thoughts on the potential of nature-based solutions. And Dr. Akimwani Adesina, he really touched very, very strongly on the challenges faced by Africa and how you know, water is really central to economic development. So these are all really important themes and our keynotes framed the two weeks of the Congress with some really powerful messages. Excellent. Well, We've also seen that there's a number of IWA awards have been presented over the course of the Congress. Why are these an important dimension of the event? Well, you know, although the conference might be virtual, we absolutely did not want to miss the opportunity to deliver another hugely important aspect of IWA and, and of our Congresses, which is really to recognise the outstanding people and organisations who contribute so much to the success of IWA. And we were very, very proud and honoured to have some great awardees this year, especially Marcus von Sperling, who received the Global Water Award, um, Nafisa Barrett, who received the Women in Water Award, 
we announced the Indo Water Consortium as the winner of our Professional Development Award. And it was great to see Siddhartha Roy, who was announced as our Young Water Leadership Awardee. On top of this, it was a real pleasure to be able to award our lifetime honorary memberships to two individuals who have really contributed so much to our association. And I know many of our members know them very well, and that's Shiri Warner and Mark Van Moustrecht. So this event may have been virtual, but these awards are so important to the heartbeat of IWA. And this year, you know, we're really, really honored to have had some truly worthy winners. Excellent. Well, finally then to, to wrap this up, we've seen a huge amount of interaction around the Congress, both in the Q&A sessions and on social media. How important has it been to achieve this around a virtual event? Well, as you know, Keith, you know, one of the main aims of IWA is to connect people and it's about enabling them to share their insights and experiences. The Congress programme is really at the heart of this and our programme committee did a great job of bringing together a huge number of papers into a very, what I thought was a very coherent agenda. And it was built around six very strong major themes. Um, the programme provided the focus for our worldwide audience to interact with speakers. And we had 51 sessions. And so we had a very, very international audience that was able to interact through our Q&A sessions and also to share their views through social media on some of the topics that were being raised. Of course, direct interaction between members of our community of water professionals is a huge part of what makes our physical events so attractive. And so we tried as hard as possible to try and achieve the same sort of spirit um, within this virtual event. And so we tried to sort of, you know, replicate that sort of connection with people and, you know, sort of meeting with your friends and colleagues. And while it was tricky because it was a virtual event, I think we did pretty well. So I feel personally that we have delivered on these important ways of connecting with people, recognizing their achievement and inspiring our membership. And I'm actually personally very proud that this virtual event has really showcased what IWA is all about and has showcased IWA in the highest light possible. Fantastic. That's great. Thank you, Carla. Thanks, Keith. And that's a perfect note to round off this podcast and what has been a truly impressive virtual event. I'm Keith Hayward. Thank you for listening.